0: All right. What a blessing to be able to share this time together with all of you. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm Pastor Terry, the pastor here at Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. And I'm so thankful you're here to share with us in this time to choose series. Uh, today we're going to be looking at this whole idea of what to do when we come to these fork in the road moments where we're going to need to trust Jesus because we find ourselves in a desperate place and we don't know what to do. In these seasons that call us into exceptional faith, even when a part of us doesn't feel strong, these, these seasons are opportunities for unusual growth. And so I want to, I want to sit with it. I want to look at a passage. I'm going to have us examine an exchange that Jesus had with a desperate man and then have us all learn from it. But let's just pray together right now and ask God's blessing over what we're about to share. So Lord, I, I invite you to come into this place as we have continued to just set our hearts in a direction of openness so that we might receive what it is you want to give us. My prayer is for more grace, more love, more peace more life, more hope, all in Jesus name. Amen. So let's go to John four and let's talk about, uh, something that is generally referred to as the second miracle of Jesus, the second recorded miracle of Jesus's ministry. We read this verse 43, after two days, he, Jesus departed for Galilee. Now this refers to Jesus leaving Samaria. And returning to the Galilee. He had been in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. If you read it a little bit earlier in the scriptures, and he had gone through Samaria and he was now returning to the Galilee. And we need to remember that this is very early in Jesus's ministry. He's, he's just starting to announce himself publicly. He's 30 years of age verse 44, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Jesus had grown up in Nazareth, uh, in Galilee in obscurity with no fanfare, no notoriety. There is no, nobody would have noticed that Messiah was in this world. Like his stepfather, Joseph, Jesus had been a carpenter by trade. I mean, just just ponder that for a moment, (laughs) the ordinariness of it. Uh, He had not revealed himself as, as the promised one, as the one who would fulfill all that had been anticipated by the old Testament prophets, the one who would bring to fruition, the promises of God that we would not be abandoned. But I mean, the scriptures are clear that it wasn't until the wedding feast, what we examined these last few weeks, when he actually did anything remotely to display his power or did anything that could remotely be considered a miraculous sign. Remember in John 2, it says this in verse 11, connecting back to that. First miracle, turning the water into wine, says this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. But again, after leaving Galilee, after doing this, this miracle, which very few would have even been aware of. He went to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. And then during that time, everything had changed. I mean, that's the thing, his healing abilities and teachings had created a stir uh, amongst religious elites and powerful temple leadership, as well as the public at large. At least people were talking about it. So when he returned to uh, Galilee, instead of being disowned by his countrymen, He was embraced kind of like a a hometown star (laughs) for anyone who could cause a stir in the big city. And it was a big city was clearly worth watching and celebrating. And that's the backdrop for what we're about to look at the uh, second public miracle of Jesus in the Galilee. So we're. There's a lot of other things that that may have happened earlier, but it's the second one that we are become aware of that Jesus does in his hometown region of the Galilee. So it says that when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. And he came again to Cana in Galilee and where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death <laughs> and that distance, the distance between these two areas is about 25 miles. This is a significant distance by foot, 25 miles of walking. And we're told that there wasn't this, this man who was an official, a government official, most likely working for King Herod, the older versions refer to him as the nobleman. Which means he was a man of prominence. He was a man of power, of no small authority, a man who had been accustomed to, as people of position and power often are, of getting his way. He was a man respected, perhaps admired, and certainly feared because who he most likely worked for, King Herod, who was the ruthless regent in Jerusalem, who had managed to keep his position by helping Rome keep the peace and to quell the restless multitude. So Herod was a vassal of Rome. He had power. He had authority. He was feared. He was violent. And this man seemed to be connected to him. And and we also know one more thing, though. We're given one more bit of detail. He was desperate, very desperate. Why he was desperate because his son was sick. Even the scripture says to the point of death and you know, like any of us, especially those of us who've had children or grandchildren, we understand, we understand how desperate we can feel when. You know, our children are sick yet alone if their life would be in jeopardy. It's a feeling that that actually stops you in your tracks and chases away all other concerns. I still remember, and I've shared this a few times before, but I wouldn't expect all of you to be aware of it. But I still remember the day, whoa now, it's what is it, almost boy, 30, over 30 years ago, when uh Caleb our firstborn was just 13 months old and uh this was before cell phones so <laughs> i know some of us go there was a time when there were no cell phones yes this was before cell phones even even i think before the big ones that look like walkie talkies this was the time of telephones that you would pick up that were attached by wires and sometimes long cords Relics of the past, I realized, but I remember because I was at the church and, I uh, had an office space there and there was a note, a post-it note on my door. Uh, and it told me that my wife, Cheryl, who many of you know, was at Kaiser and that something very bad had happened to Caleb and that I needed to get there as soon as possible, it was urgent. And I, I remember, you know, we all handle, we all handle crisis differently and I didn't have any, I didn't have any additional information. So I remember feeling something mixed between panicked and numb. How I, I would, I almost think I was dazed that that's, that's how I would characterize it. I, I, I'll not forget that day completely till the day I die for sure. Uh, walk. I remember walking in, uh, walking into the hospital and, and just happened to catch the moment where they were rolling my young son, our young son, Caleb, again, just a little guy, uh, and, and he, he was, he was, uh, splayed out on a gurney, IVs, uh, so anyway, uh, I'll never forget it. The the long story short uh, is that he had a seizure, but there was no permanent damage at the time. We we weren't sure what was actually going to happen. Evidently, though, and now we look back at it and we understand that it was most likely triggered by chemicals that had been resting on the floor of a printer's shop. And so he was in his chair and he had inhaled it and it had... Uh, Put him into a, a point of seizure, but it, but, but I just recall it was touch and go for a while and it was so unsettling. And if I can put it this way, I think the official's journey to Jesus was a lot like my drive to Kaiser. I do. I do believe that in the sense that, I mean, nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. That became the only issue. You know what I mean? Some of you totally get what I'm, what I'm talking about. It was so significant to him that it was the only issue in the world. Whatever else was going on in this big world, it didn't matter. Whatever was else was going on in his professional life. It didn't matter. What other situations, dealings, relational issues didn't matter. What mattered for him was that his son was dying and he had to, He had to find his way to Jesus because it seemed like this Jesus, at least some were saying it was a miracle worker. And he had heard from the discussions that were surrounding Jerusalem that he could heal uh, others. He could heal when other people couldn't. And so in his mind, in his mind, perhaps others had said, don't, You know, your son's going to die. But in his mind, this was his only hope. (laughs) It was his only hope. And he had made up his mind. I don't know how he had heard about Jesus. I don't know who had told him about Jesus, but he had made up his mind to find him and bring him to Capernaum to heal the boy with the power of Yahweh, the power of God. And can you hear me when I say this? Uh, Desperation is what often fuels our breakthroughs. It creates a time to choose moment for us. And when we lean into God, one of the things that we, when we do it out of our desperation that we find is that things open up for us. I have found this to be true in my life. It's often in the. Oh, painful places, the sorrowful places, the scary places, the unsettling places, the despairing and wounded places, the places when we just don't know what to do, where we are humbled, where we're broken of our pride and self-confidence. How many times have I seen now over the course of decades that the unwanted trial because it brings us to a desperate place out of our desperate place it brings us to Jesus becomes and I know it, it, it doesn't sound like it's it's even logical but it becomes a kind of gift that reorders our life how many how many happy stories in Christ began with a desperate need? So, loved one, if you find yourself in a desperate place, turn towards Jesus. Now, I know, I know, I know that not all situations end in happiness. I get that. But I do believe, I do believe that He can bring joy even in our sorrow and a kind of compensating grace if we allow Him. So, what I'm saying is, God often brings breakthroughs into our lives when we choose to turn to him in our places of desperation. But I also realize that those breakthroughs may be a result, not of us getting maybe what we wanted, but a kind of compensating grace that fills in for, and it can't ever necessarily completely match it, but in some ways or make up for it, but in some ways it, it may in other, in another way, way be a greater blessing a different kind of blessing. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. I know I'm walking on very fragile ground here. I get that. I just don't want to pretend that every time we turn to Jesus in a desperate place, it goes the way we wanted it to go. I, I think it often does, but not in every situation, but even in the situation where it doesn't go the way we were wanting, wanting it to go, um, God has grace for us. God has something to help us, to meet us, to give us, to bless us with. And perhaps if I can shift back, some of us feel beaten down by some unfair, difficult or unrelenting situation. Perhaps, yeah, our heart has been broken beyond recognition and maybe it's breaking even now. Maybe it's connected to something that is beyond our control. Choices of other people. I don't know. Perhaps we need a miracle of healing. All I can say is that whatever state we find ourselves in, find your way to Jesus. Find your way to Jesus. Because no matter what happens, it's the safest place you'll ever be. And sometimes we will find that when we get to Jesus, he does something stunning, remarkable, unforgettable back to verse 47. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea, from Jerusalem to Galilee in the north, he went to him and he asked him to come down and heal his son. Would you make the trek with me? And heal my son, healer. For he was, we're told here, that his son was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, (laughs) unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So the answer was not what we expected. Nor (laughs) uh, do I believe it was it what he expected. First off, Jesus was not moved one way or another by his position. That's obvious. It's clear. And, And that's consistent. Because Jesus was not easily impressed by wealth, status, pedigree, or power, position. These things didn't, didn't, didn't change him. But, but neither would he, you know, we need to note this. Neither would one's wealth uh, or position disqualify them from his compassion. You know, he, he wasn't anti achievement or power, but he wasn't overly impressed by it either. There was a a kind of equit, that was the word I'm looking for. He dealt with people, people equitably. He treated people, all people, with dignity. He didn't reduce them or try to capture them or put them into a box. If someone was poor or downtrodden, he didn't disrespect them or treat them as less than. If someone was wealthy, powerful, rich, he didn't He didn't alienate them and say, well, you've already got your blessing, so I'm not giving you mine. He didn't do that. He treated everyone in many ways the same, different, but the same. He was not influenced by where people stood in terms of their social status. It was never about that. He didn't didn't diminish someone for either having too little or too much. nor did he make it somehow being neither of those two things as the, the sweet spot of what you, we want to pursue there, there are elements of that, that were true. I mean, Jesus, the majority of the people that Jesus interacted with were probably people in the middle, but he loved everyone. That's what I'm trying to say. He loved everyone. He wasn't just Jesus for the poor. Or Jesus against the rich or Jesus, the friend of the powerful or Jesus only for the middle class. That was not how all people, the world, right? He's the savior of the world. Whoever will have him, every heart that opens up, Jesus will come. Don't hold back. We're all welcome. There's a place for you at his table and me too. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Uh, But this man was desperate. And he was also clearly in pain. He had cast all social convention aside, swallowed his pride, humbly appealed to Jesus for help. Perhaps the crowd who had been listening to Jesus had parted to let the important man through, right? Was watching as he found his way and made his way to Jesus. I must talk to this. I must talk to him. They recognized immediately he was a man of power and means. And they watched with unabated interest at the drama that was playing out before their eyes. What would Jesus do? What answer would he give? A stillness filled the air. And then the answer. Not what anyone expected. Words hardly accommodating. In fact, they almost seemed detached. A little cold even. And unsympathetic. I mean, Jesus... When he says, will you, will you come with me? Jesus turned and declared with utmost sincerity, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? And by the way, the bleak assessment was not simply intended for the official. It was for the people in the crowd and the people in general, you was the crowd, the curious, the fascinated, many of whom were following him simply to see him perform miracles, like a magician, entertaining an audience, their faith in him, he knew was a mile wide (laughs) and an inch deep, (laughs) fickle, (laughs) self-interested. And the words of Jesus fell off the desperate man, though, uh, like uh, like rain on a window pane or a passing glance. I mean, he whatever Jesus meant, whatever whoever they were for, he was undaunted. It's like okay, uh, he, he there was no anger, there was no resentment, no irritation with Jesus. Simply an appeal for help. There, I mean, he was locked in. It was a singular focus. The official just said to him. I, I don't know about all that, sir, just come down before my, 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 child dies. That that's what I need. Uh, but this official, this noble man would be tested further still by what Jesus would say next. Jesus basically is, he's going to say, well, I'm not going with you. I'm not going with you. But Jesus said to him, Go. Go, your son will live. And there must have been something in the manner of Jesus, something in his eyes, something maybe in the tone of his voice that convinced him because we're told, we're told the man believed what Jesus spoke to him. He believed. He believed what Jesus spoke to him. And he went on his way. And as I sat with these words, I was reminded that there will be times when the Lord will present us with opportunities for growth of loved ones. He will. Jesus, Jesus's words actually created an opportunity for this man to push beyond his belief that Jesus might be able to perform a miracle. If he was there in person to a willingness to believe his words. Now that, and that's how it's going to be with you and me. It really is. He will work to grow us. Listen, he will work to grow us beyond where we are to a deeper understanding of who he is. He will work to grow us beyond where we are to a deeper understanding of who he he is. And, oh, and one more thing, one more thing, and I hope we can see it. There are times when the Lord will require us to make a faith journey in. In the case of the official, it, it was going to be a long journey home. <laughs> but along the way, his plea was answered. That's what we're told. Verse 15, 51 says this As he was going, his servants met him. They found him and, and they told him, Your son is recovering. Loved ones, there are, <laughs> there are times when the Lord will ask us to make a, a journey down. A road called trust, a journey that's going to change and alter who we are and our understanding of who he is. Something of distance that has maybe a seasonal span to it. Something that is going to be transformative Verse 52. So we asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said, well, it it was around one o'clock. It was at the seventh hour. That's when the fever left him. And we saw a real change. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And we're told he himself believed and all his household believed with him. Everyone became a believer in Jesus. And this we are told was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And yeah, never forget what what I, what I loved about this as well is because it's a reminder that people will also be affected and blessed and come to Jesus when we make our journey of faith. (laughs) How can I say this? His miracles are never just for us. They're for others. They're for others to be blessed and touched and helped. And that's just the way of Jesus. Isn't that so good? So when we get to these places where we find ourselves at, a, at these, what well, we call them, time to choose moments, where we're going to have to decide... Where am I going to turn? Who am I going to turn? What am I going to do with the words he's asking me to embrace in these moments? Jesus invites us to trust him in our desperate places to turn to him. And we will find that he will do amazing things. Sometimes we will witness a miracle precisely around the issue that we were praying and hoping for other times we will find that the Lord will send us a compensating grace that will fill the gap of our deep pain and wound. But we will never leave less than blessed. There will always be something that God will do that will benefit us and bring life to us. And so, um, you know, I have a little bit more to share. Uh, the band's going to be coming around from the back end. I, know, I do get to do this. I don't do this all the time, but I do want to take this time to remind all of you. It's the time that I get to do it, um, about our time of giving. Some of you are more than aware of it. Some of you have been amazing. Some of you have really just been consistent in your tithes and your offerings. And you've honored the Lord with your first fruits. And so I am talking to those uh, of us who are, you consider yourself in a way, part of our, our fellowship, part of our online community and you love the Lord and he's the, the singular highest part of your life. Like the Lord is on the throne of your heart. So anyway, remember <laughs> you can give, you send it in. You can give directly online. You didn't even give through our app, but I always say, let's give Him first our heart. So with that in mind, Lord, I just ask you to bless this song, even as I've asked you to bless these words that we've been sharing. And then, uh, you know, when we come back around, uh, give us one more blessing. That is what I pray for in Jesus name. Amen.
1: been here. i
0: Jesus said, if we ask, it shall be given. If we seek, we will find. And if we knock, the door will be opened." And I've always viewed that verse as both an invitation to take our concern to Jesus, as well as a reminder of the power of desperation, how the Lord is moved. There are times where we, we ask. And I think that's a, a mild pursuit of the Lord to do something for us. There are times when we seek, <laughs> right? And we are, that's, that implies a, an even higher level of, of you know moving towards something, asking God for something, but then knocking, right? That one is, is that, that happens when we're desperate like, God, you got to do this, Lord. You got to open this door. You got to let me in. You got to help me, right? That, and that's what we learned about today, right? Was the, the healing of the nobleman, the healing of this official who was so desperate on behalf of someone he loved. And, and it got me thinking that there might be some of us who feel the same way about, it may be something for our, in our own lives, but it may actually be connected to a person. And if it is, may the Lord hear our prayers. Lord Jesus, I do pray this blessing. I do. I pray the blessing over each of my friends, my brothers and sisters, all of us who are connected right now. I pray you would bless their lives, meet them in their desperate places, in the place of of an unsettledness of heart. Bring your peace, bring breakthrough, bring grace, but also for those of us who are desperate on behalf of of someone else. Someone we love It could be a son. It could be a daughter, could be a friend, could be someone that has meant so much to us, and we want them to be touched and healed. And even now, Lord Jesus, we pray for that. We do. Miracle working, God, do amazing things, do wonderful things, do beautiful things. This is our prayer, our desperate prayer in Jesus' name. They'll ever forget how loved you are.